Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today we are looking at the 28th parak of Sefer Shmuel, which opens with two verses that belong to the previous parak. It's the end of the previous discussion how David continues to deceive the king of Gat, to lull him into a false sense of security and trust within David, while David still preserves his sense of loyalty and his connection to Bnei Israel. The camera then shifts to Shaul and to a narrative that focuses on something that Shaul does, but as a, by way of introduction, we are told two bits of information. Firstly, we're told, once again, that Shmuel has passed away. And then we are told that Shaul has ridden the land over the course of his kingship of Avos and Yedonim, which are forms of witchcraft and magic that are prohibited by the Torah. And parenthetically, that's a great reflection on Shaul, and it's, it's a real accomplishment. And it's a concrete demonstration and reminder that the Navi is telling a particular story focusing on a particular dimension of Shaul's kingship, but undoubtedly, there are myriad other things going on over the course of his time as king, projects that he has undertaken, things that he is thinking about. And it's clear that, and it's, it's good to remind ourselves that Shaul has had some real successes and ridding the land of, of Avos and Yedonim is certainly counted among them. However, this significant accomplishment will be undermined to some degree by the actions taken by Shaul in this parak. We learn that the Plishtim are gathered to attack B'nai Yisrael, and Shaul is very afraid. He tries to consult God, tries to contact Hashem to seek guidance from Hashem through a variety of mediums, but they all fail. Two of those mediums are seeking a prophet, as well as through the Urim Vitumim. And one cannot help but see how Shaul's previous wrongdoing in his tenure as king are now haunting him. Long ago, uh, he turned his back on Shmuel, and now Shmuel, though he's, he's dead, so regardless, he wouldn't be available to him. But one senses that Shaul is feeling that absence now very acutely. And also, the fact that he destroyed Nov, the priestly center, um, now, now he, he needs the Kohanim, he needs the Urim Vitumim, he needs that intermediary to God, and, and yet he, he doesn't have the ability to, to use or effectively use them in order to seek Hashem's guidance. So Shaul has, has now kind of, uh, is now experiencing the result of his own, uh, his own failures. On this, in the same token, or, or at the sa- in the same breath, he's also suffering from his own successes, because Shaul then decides, as a result of his inability to consult God through these more traditional channels, he goes and he, he wants to seek uh, a witch. He wants to seek uh, some sort of uh, necromancer to consult with Hashem, to, as we'll see, consult with Shmuel. And because Shaul succeeded in ridding the land of those magicians and of those sorcerers, so he, he will have extra trouble finding one uh, in this moment as well. So it's interesting how all of Shaul's previous acts, both good and bad, are now coming back to haunt him to some degree. As I said, Shaul now turns to, uh, to, a, to a witch. He goes to Endor, uh, where there is a, a witch, where there's a necromancer, and he tries to call up Shmuel. This is obviously such a, a desperate and perverse act, the idea of calling Shmuel, so essentially seeking Hashem, um, but using it through the medium of witchcraft, tells us how far Shaul has fallen. At first, he, he comes to this witch, he disguises himself, so no one will know who he is, not even the witch, at least initially. And, uh, and the witch says, I, I, I'm not in that business anymore. 
the, the king forbids it. It's too dangerous for me to engage in this activity. So you see the success of, of Shaul's policy up until now. But Shaul prevails upon her. He, he swears to her that nothing bad will come uh, of this. And so she, she ultimately goes through with it. And she succeeds in calling Shmuel up from the dead, from the grave, whatever that means. Shmuel takes this opportunity uh, in whatever form he, he is right now, he, he's being conjured up, and he, he, he lambasts Shaul. He, he criticizes him, he chastises him, he says that the kingship has long been out of his hands, that, uh, um, that, that the, the kingship has fallen to someone else, and in fact, this is the first time that Shmuel tells Shaul that the kingship will go to David, that the kingship has fallen into the hands of David. Even though we've known this as the reader for a long time, and Shmuel obviously has known this for a long time, and of course, Shaul has long suspected that this was the case, that, that David was going to be the heir to the throne. Nonetheless, this is still a big reveal, and I think it's amplified. It's made an even greater reveal because you'll recall that in the last prakim, David has fled to the plishtim, and we're told that Shaul is no longer pursuing him, which reflects the fact that Shaul likely thought, just like the king of God, just like Achish himself, that David has betrayed the Jewish people, that, that he's abandoned Bnei Israel, and that he's no longer a, th- a threat to Shaul, which is to say he's no longer in line to take over the, the seat of the king. And so now Shaul's worst fears are really being confirmed and in a certain respect being brought back to life, no pun intended, uh, that David is the one who is going to succeed him. David, this person who Shaul once trusted uh, in the innermost sanctum of his, of his home to play the harp for him, to soothe his, uh, his bitter and, and fearful soul, this very person is going to be the one ultimately who takes over the kingship. Shmuel then tells Shaul that Shaul and his son will die in this battle against the Plishtim. Shaul, hearing this, falls uh, falls to the ground. He falls faint. He's seized by fear and terror. And the witch helps nurse him back to life and, and insists that he eat. He didn't, he didn't want to eat. He couldn't eat. But she in, insists and she makes him this very lavish meal. Interestingly, the witch, who we would assume is this uh, immoral actor, kind of uh, the, the, uh, on, on the low margins of society, someone who is, it doesn't fit into uh, you, you know, our usual framework for who, who would be this kind of moral and pious person. She is the one who's consistently acting piously here. She didn't want to engage in witchcraft. Shaul is the one who impresses upon her that she must. He's the one who forces her to. And then at the end, after Shaul faints, she is the one who prepares this meal. And uh, some have picked up on the fact that the, the language of this meal um, is uh, the, the, the way in which she runs to prepare it and some of the contents of the meal uh, remind us of the way Abraham uh, in Parshas Vayera prepares the meal for the, for the angels, for the three angelic visitors who come to tell him that he and Sarah are going to have a child in a year's time. And the angels who then go to visit Lot, it, it, it kind of uh, evokes that story a little bit. And so it, it just, uh, I would say, uh, crystallizes this really interesting contrast between the witch, who turns out to be uh, not wicked at all, and Shaul, who has fallen to such great depths, and he's, he's really the villain uh, in this scene, or, or the one who, looks, who, who, who emerges looking much worse, and even in contrast to the witch, who emerges looking kind of pious. So there's this really interesting dynamic there between Shaul and the, uh, the witch of Endor. Uh, one topic that uh, is worthy of a, a much longer 
exploration and analysis and treatment, maybe I'll, I'll devote a shear to it at some point, uh, is the question of how is this witch able to actually summon Shaul, Shmuel, excuse me, how is she actually able to summon Shmuel here? Taking a step back, the Torah prohibits seeking the counsel of witchcraft and magicians, necromancers and the like. And the question that we have to ask more basically is that uh, when the Torah prohibits these, these things, is it prohibiting them because they are their vanity and there's no actual uh, uh, impact uh, to them, there's no, there's no validity to them? Or are these truly mediums that are effective in doing whatever it is that they do? And B'nai Yisrael are specifically prohibited from pursuing them because we have our own uh, more pristine and, and perfect and um, admirable channels uh, in order to either uh, reach God or uh, determine the right course of action. This is Machlokas among the Meforshim, falling pretty much straight down the line between the more philosophically and rationalistically inclined thinkers on the one side and the more mystically inclined thinkers on the other. But if you say that magic doesn't work, so how do you deal with our parak? If you say that Hashem pro- prohibits seeking the counsel of these magicians and the like because they are uh, it's just smoke and mirrors, it's, it's, it's hevel, it's, it's, it's all just trickery. So then how does the witch of Endor actually succeed in conjuring up Shmuel? And, and here we have uh, two different tracks that can be taken. We find them uh, among the Gaonim already. And that is one track is to say, generally she was not successful, but here she was successful. Here Hashem actually wanted uh, Shmuel's message to get through to Shaul. And so this was the kind of one time, usually it was all smoke and mirrors, but this one time Shmuel actually is conjured from the ground. And perhaps you can read that into her response, her screaming and her, her own shock at her own success in this moment. Alternatively, in the more extreme uh, position here is that this whole thing is actually smoke and mirrors and that this woman was just using publicly known uh, information about the relationship between uh, Shaul and David and she was using all, all, all sorts of trickery to try to make Shaul think that there was in fact an encounter with Shmuel when in fact that was not the case. Th- that approach in particular is very far from the pshat. The, the simpler approach here is simply to say that they have some power and she was able to to conjure Shmuel, which is perhaps harder for us to palate, but textually, it certainly uh, fits more squarely, more snugly into the, into the text itself. Ultimately, it's really so telling that Shaul, a man who was once counted among the prophets himself, Hagam Shaul ban Vim, now he's reduced to having to seek out Shmuel through a necromancer. It's such a sad and, in a certain respect, pathetic moment for this tragic figure, a man who himself once rid the land of such ignoble mediums. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz, and happy learning.